0: Well again, welcome to Bethlehem and welcome to the end of this series that we called uh, Make an Impact. Um, For those of you who are newer to Bethlehem, what we do with our messages is we take a, a topic and we look at what the Bible says and we take three, four, five weeks on a topic and just kind of Look at all the things that God has to say, and then we go on to another topic. And so if this is your first time, we're kind of at the end of the movie, so to speak, as we're in the fourth part of the series. And if you would like to watch or catch up on the rest of the series, uh, many of you know this, but they can find them all um, on our website, and you can can catch up. Um, this is a series that was, I guess, inspired by the new opportunity that we have as a church to... Uh, create more space for people to hear the gospel, but even though it's somewhat, I guess, centered around a building, we've recognized that church is not a building. And so whether you're a member here or not, whether you're passionate about the new building or not, there are definite truths to learn, to grow with, scripturally speaking, in this series, and how you can individually make an impact with the people around you. And today's message is very much along those lines. We're going to talk about Bethlehem, but all along the way, I want you to think, how can I also individually take what we're learning, what Jesus modeled, and apply it to the people around me? On the screen, we've got a picture here. Um, How many of you have ever heard of the Beatles? Anyone heard of the Beatles? A few of you. Okay, like even younger people that were not alive at all at the time of the Beatles, like me, I'm a younger person who wasn't alive then, I've heard of the Beatles. They happen to be one of the most influential bands in music history, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? Um, they influenced music, uh, they influenced how music is produced, in fact, had a little bit of their fingers on uh, some of the first music videos that there were. But their influence went beyond, their impact went beyond just music. Um, They influenced um, fashion and style, Uh, whether it be the clothes they wore, or if you look at pictures of your parents or yourself or your grandparents in the late 60s, more than likely, they have a haircut that looks kind of like that. I know my dad did And I was going to use one of his pictures uh, up here to show you, but I, I didn't get it up there. But they influenced people's haircuts, their hairstyles. They influenced people's social awareness. And in some ways, towards the end of their uh, history, uh, allowed people to think about the, the world in a different way. Their impact can be known very clearly in the fact that lots of people know about them and weren't even alive when they were around. They came to the United States in 1964 from England. With all that said, some have speculated, and I would agree with them, that the impact of the Beatles, while great, could have been greater. Here's why. Does anyone know how long the Beatles were a band? How many years were they actually a band? Does anyone know? Six? Close. Close. First, first Service is a little smarter in their Beatle history than Mark Krenhop. But no, uh, <laughs> 10 years, 10 years they were a band. Anyone know how many years of the 10 that they actually toured and did concerts? Mark, what was your first answer? S- six years, exactly. Only six years did they tour. And yet think about the impact they had, but think about the impact that they could have had greater if they would have stuck around. So what was, what was their issue? Yoko Ono was their issue. (laughs) No, it, it was very complicated. It was very complicated. Whole books were written about this. But what I would say in a nutshell, their issue was they weren't all on the same page. So they had passion over making good music. They had passion over a united mission. But how to get it done, they had different thoughts on. Who should lead? Who should write? What genre should we go after? Just a whole bunch of stuff that divided them and ultimately led them to break up after only 10 years. Their impact could have been greater. Now, all of this surprisingly, leads us to our first fill-in for this weekend. You'll find it on the screen. That a shared mission will unite people. The mission for the Beatles, uh, in my own words, would be make good music, all right? Influence with music. But while that is true, a shared mission and a vision will unite even better When you're united, not just by the mission, make good music, but also the vision, the details, how are you going to get this done? You're going to be united even better. That's what the Beatles didn't have. But what I hope and pray is true for this church. Because when we're united, not just by the mission, but also by the vision, we're going to be united even better. So let's, let's talk about church for a moment. The mission for every Christian church should be the same. And here's why. Because we don't invent the mission, God gave it to us. The mission of the church is in the words of Christ, to go and make disciples of all nations. The mission of the Christian church is to go out and to tell people about Jesus. Every Christian church should have that mission. We say it this way. That Matthew 28, we put it in our own words, that our our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, every Christian church should have that mission, and I would say most of them do. But not every church you've gone to feels or looks the same, right? I mean, Bethlehem might be a little different than some of the churches you came from, possibly. So what's, what's what's the different part? Well, for most of the time, the part that makes churches different isn't the mission, but it's the vision. Well, how are we going to get this done? What are we going to emphasize? Where are we going to put our focus? Yes, on the gospel, but in what way of getting it out? So, like, I know some really good churches who their vision, the details of how to get the mission done, is related to a Christian day school. And they spend a lot of time and energy and offerings to really make sure that the mission, the gospel, is shared through the means of the Christian day school. That's a great vision. It's not Bethlehem's vision, though. Or maybe there's churches, and we kind of talked about this at one of those impact events, that have a vision around um, world missions. And so they put all their time, focus, and emphasis on getting people out regularly into Africa or into Europe and to do world mission work, which is great, and I think Bethlehem is going to try to do a little bit more of that, but that's not our primary focus, world mission work. It's an okay vision, it's, it's not ours. So what are we passionate about and how to get the mission done? Well, here's how we've articulated it. You've seen this around, you've heard me say it, that we want to be a church that shares timeless truth in a timely way. And there's two aspects to this that really help you understand our DNA. The first is timeless truth. That there is truth, both direction but also hope, that will never change, that has been given to us by God. It is timeless. So we as stewards or caretakers of that message, our responsibility is to share it in all of its truth. To not make excuses for it, not to be bashful about it, to not be, um, you know, to hide it, but to lovingly share it because it is timeless. While at the same time, we're passionate about sharing it in a way that is timely. To use methods, practices, (laughs) technology that allow us to share it in a way that meets the, the patterns, the needs, the, the desires of the people that live in our time and in our culture. And so that's, that's our vision. Timeless truth shared in a timely way. That's, that's what we're all about. And if you've ever wondered what most erects the, the details of Bethlehem, it's that statement. Timeless truth in a timely way. Now, here's, here's the cool part. Not only is this something Bethlehem's passionate about, but it's something that Jesus himself modeled. I mean, we kind of ripped this off from Jesus. We stole it from him because this is how he acted and interacted with people. This was at the heart of his ministry three years here on earth. And what I want to do for you today to not only better help you understand Bethlehem, but to broaden your hmm, desire to be gospel lights wherever you live with the people around you, I want to look at an occasion where Jesus modeled this really, really well. Okay, so we're going to turn to John chapter 4. And before we get there, I have a little bit of background that I want to to share with you. And so the the background is this— There was in Israel uh, three primary regions. You see this map here. We've got Judea here and Galilee in the north. And for those of you who are pretty familiar with the Bible, you you probably know that Jesus traveled from Judea and Jerusalem up to Galilee, and he'd go back and forth a number of times during during his life and during his ministry. Well, in between those regions is this area called Samaria. And Samaria was a region where a full-blooded Jew, <laughs> a descendant of Abraham, did not have a lot of love for the Samaritans. Now, it's, it's really complicated. It's a long story, but in essence, let me give you the cliff notes. Like 700 years before the time of Christ, the, the full-blooded Jews in the region of Samaria they, they started to intermarry with people of other nationalities and, not, and other races. And, and God did not look kindly on that, not because they were of different nationalities. God loves all people no matter what type of nationality they are, but because these people were not God-fearing. And he knew how that could have an influence on his people. And he wanted there to be a separation so as to eventually bring Jesus to this earth through the Jewish nation, but the Samaritans they didn't listen to Jesus. They intermarried with non-God-believing people, and the Jews uh, who weren't the Samaritans they um, they not only looked down on this, but they kind of amped it up to a, a hatred that certainly was not God pleasing. And you would see this in many different ways uh, back 2,000 years ago. But one of the ways was this, that when a Jew needed to travel from Jerusalem to Galilee or back, most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, they would not travel in Samaria. But you ask, well, how do you get to Galilee without going through Samaria? You take the long route, and that's what the Jews did. They would either go this way near the Mediterranean and hug the coastline so they didn't have to, you know, walk much in Samaria and, and sort of be, you know, influenced by those, those horrible Samaritans, or they would cross over the Jordan River and go up this way into Galilee, but very rarely would they walk right through Samaria. Jesus was in the town of Sychar, as you see on the screen, at the time of our text. Jesus decided with his 12 disciples to just go right straight through Samaria. He didn't care. He knew there was someone there who needed his encouragement. Now let me tell you a little bit about this woman that he met at the well in the city of Sychar. She had a lot going on in her life. Um, the Bible tells us, and Jesus kind of knew this as God before he even met her. He knew something about her because he was true God that you and I wouldn't have known before meeting someone. He knew that she was a woman who not only had, had been married once, but had been married twice, had been married three times. She had been married four times. She actually had been married five times. And on Saturday night when I shared that, there was a little girl in the front row Is like, five times? I'm like, yes, dear, five times that she had been married. And in fact, Jesus said, or we'll find out that she was actually living with a man that she wasn't married to. Let let me tell you something about this woman. She came to the well in Sychar that day, the way you sometimes feel, burdened. She was carrying some baggage with her, She was carrying some heavy stuff with her. And we don't know for sure why she had been married five times. Uh, There could be different possibilities. But each one leads, each possibility leads to this woman carrying some heavy baggage. So, for instance, maybe all five husbands had died, that she was a widow for the fifth time. If that was the case, well... She came to the well carrying baggage of grief. If maybe it was the fact that she married five men that divorced her. If that were the case, she probably has some pretty major self-esteem issues. She probably doesn't feel very good about herself, you would guess. And she's carrying a load of low self-esteem. Or maybe it wasn't her husband's issue that she had five divorces. Maybe it was her own sin. Maybe, maybe she was unfaithful. Maybe there was something else going on in her that these men divorced her. Well then, she's carrying to the well that day a great load of guilt. Whatever it is, she's carrying baggage with her that she desperately needs someone to address for her. Now the thing is, the way she had been trying to handle it wasn't what she needed. She had been trying to handle it by finding joy in this world, by finding joy in the things that this world can bring, namely the love of another man, right? Well, let's see what happens um, as we turn to John chapter 4. So when a Samaritan woman came to the well in Sychar to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now we just need to pause there because I want you to be amazed by the love of your Savior, the lengths that he goes. Here's what I mean (laughs) he just asked the question. Think about all the cultural sort of paradigms he's blowing up in that one question. A Jew, traveling through Samaria and actually hanging out in the middle of it, okay? A Jew not just hanging out in Samaria, but being willing to talk to a Samaritan. (laughs) And not just a Samaritan man. In that time and culture, women were considered not to be as great as men, okay? Not true, but that's how they felt, it was a Samaritan woman. Not just a Samaritan woman, but a woman who had a whole lot of baggage that more than likely, she was not just an outcast from the Jewish nation, she was probably an outcast from her own people because of her past. And Jesus, the perfect son of God, takes time to talk with her and ask her a question. As I'm studying this this week, as I'm thinking about the The heart that I want to have as a person in this world entrusted with the mission of the gospel, I was amazed again at the love and the patience of our Savior God. The Bible says, Who can understand the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of God's love that's found in Christ Jesus? My friends, he, coming to a woman who had otherwise would have been an outcast, shows his amazing love. And it's interesting, all throughout his ministry, he modeled this. He, he seemed to have friends that you wouldn't think would be friends with the perfect Son of God. The people most gathered around him were the people with all the issues, so to speak. Like those who were lame, meaning that can't walk, or those who are very sick, or those who had adultery issues going on in their life, or or tax collectors whom the rest of society had sort of, um, you know, gone away from. Those people gathered around him, and Jesus continually had time for them. It seemed almost like those are the people that liked him the most. You know why? You know why that is? Because the people who recognize their great need are the ones that tend to look for help the most. It's when we don't think we have a need that we tend to stray the furthest from God. And yet, Jesus shows love to those with such great need, a love that not only led him to Samaria but led him ultimately to the cross to pay for our sins. Pride is a dangerous thing, but when we recognize our need for Jesus, that we're not self-sufficient, it is then that we most often return to him to receive what we need. Jesus was letting this woman know that he's there for her. Now, I was amazed at Jesus' love. I was also convicted because I don't always love like that. You know, it's interesting when Jesus gave Christians the direction to what we were to do, or what is the one thing that most identifies people who love Jesus. Here's what Jesus said We're going to, John chapter 13. He said, As I have loved you, Jesus said, so now you must go and love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you go to church every Sunday, if you sing loudly during church, if you volunteer for Sunday school, if you bring a pledge card to the Impact Campaign, that would have been nice if it had said that. He said, here's how you'll know that you're my disciples if you love, if you love each other, if you put yourself second and love by putting other people first if you think of others more than yourselves, that is a sign of a follower of Christ who does it out of response to Jesus' love. Here's our first fill-in. My friends, you haven't been called to merely make a point. We have been called to make an impact. Because it's easier to make a point, either verbally or on Facebook, And your point might be right or it might be wrong. It doesn't really matter, but it's easier to make a point. What's harder is to take the time and the energy to get to know people, to understand where they're coming from, to be patient with them, to love them. But that's what we were called to do. Because it's only by love can we make an impact. Not our love, ultimately, but our love leads us to lead them to someone else's love, the love of Christ, and that's exactly what Jesus was trying to do with this woman carrying all the baggage. Let's continue. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She's just confused about why Jesus the Jew would even talk to her. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And Jesus is now starting to to change the conversation from getting her attention with asking for water and showing his love for her by talking with her to something more important. Verse 11, this living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So she's now engaged with him. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So tell me more, verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, the water from the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. So she's probably still confused, and you're maybe confused too. But let me explain exactly the analogy Jesus is making. So you need water to live. If we don't drink water, we die. But you need to continually drink water, right? In the same way, what Jesus came to bring, forgiveness and a purchased home in heaven, is exactly what we need to live eternally. But we only need that once. Jesus did it one time on a cross. Indeed, the water I give them... This, this faith, this forgiveness will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's still a little bit confused. She's kind of getting it, but a little confused. And then Jesus says something next, that if you don't know this section, is going to totally blow you m- your mind because instead of going where you think he's going to go, He goes way off in a different direction. Remember, he knows this woman's background. Verse 16, he said, go call your husband and come back. And my reaction is, wow, Jesus is really mean. I mean, of all the things he could say, he goes right at her heart and rips it out. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus like, mm-hmm, I know. She said, he said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. And, and the way this goes, I'm thinking, don't know for sure, I'm thinking it had more to do with her sin issue as to why she had five husbands, just the way that Jesus responds. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Now, (laughs) Jesus could have talked about anything. I mean, he was so nice for a while. What happened to Jesus? Need a coffee or something or what? I mean, he could have asked about the weather. He could have talked about traveling in Samaria. you have any good places to see in Sychar? As long as I'm here, I don't come here very often. You know, he could have talked about anything, but Jesus instead goes right to her heart, and it hurts. And the question is why? I'll tell you. Because Jesus had come to earth not just to make a point, but to make an impact. And he knew the greatest way for this woman to understand her need for him was to talk about that which she probably would have rather avoided. He knew that there were probably nights where. She wished she could just unhitch the trailer filled with baggage that came with having five husbands and living with a man. And, and while she probably would not have wanted to talk about it, while she probably was embarrassed that Jesus brought it up, you know what it was? It was timely. It's exactly what she needed to hear. Now, Jesus and his love didn't leave her hanging here. The conversation continues. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. But he ends up leading her to her sin, but also to the joy of what he had come to bring. And the lady says, uh, you know what? I know about this Messiah that is to come. And then Jesus in verse 26 says this, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he do you know what she was able to leave at the well that day if she believed? Her pain. Her need for finding her greatest significance in the love of a man, but instead to find her greatest significance in the love of a God and of a Savior who had come to win her a place in heaven. But Jesus, he needed to be at that well. And he needed to do the, the hard road of, 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 of loving people even that others didn't maybe necessarily want to love. And and then he was timely with the timeless. Why should we be passionate about this vision? I've got two things for you to think about. The first one is this. When we share timeless truth in a timely way, it will allow every attender to see that Jesus is really for them. Because it's easy for churches to speak in platitudes and in ways that don't connect with people. And sometimes people come to church and they even wonder, like, Do they even live in the same world that I live in? Because that church doesn't speak about anything that I'm dealing with. It's speaking about all these other things that seem so churchy. Church people must live in a bubble. (laughs) They don't. We don't. And so the best thing that I can do for you as a pastor and do for myself is to talk about the things that hurt sometimes in order that then we can understand and know that even where I'm at, Jesus is still for me because I've been timely, we've been timely with the timeless truth. And the second thing, when we share timeless truth in a timely way, it'll direct every attender to value mission over method, to value the gospel over how we get it out I wonder how popular Jesus was with other Jews for walking through Samaria instead of going around it. I mean, it would just have been another thing that the Pharisees would have you know, loaded angst on Jesus about because he was doing something that no one else was doing. But you know why Jesus did that? He valued the mission of why he was here over the method of what everyone else was doing. May we be a church that does the same thing. That we think first, hmm, how does this building or how does this new thing, how does it affect our ability to carry out the mission? Because you know what, the first question we often ask ourselves, and I do it too, so it's just natural. The first question we normally ask ourselves is, do I like that? We all do that. What we're asking is that we are a church that doesn't ask that question first. It first asks, does that help people hear and know about Jesus better? And then we can have a conversation about that. And then, do I like that? It comes into play, right? But it's not where we start. A church that shares timeless truth in a timely way will direct every attender to value mission over the method. May we be a church like that, whether we're in this building, in that building, have no building. We don't need it, ultimately. Because we have the message that changed the life of a woman in Sychar and still has that power today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the timeless truth of, of sin and grace, of law and gospel. Help us to be dispensers of both in proper quantity. When people need to understand their need for Jesus, help us to, to share sin and the law. When people have been burdened by that, help us to share gospel, the love of Christ. Help us to be a church just like that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, our ushers will be gathering our thank offering.